Hello, my name is Knut Peterson. Thank you very much, Janet, for sharing your beautiful voice with us. I appreciated that. My question is, uh, people with the Baha'i faith, are they uh, very politically motivated in any way? Uh, how do they... How do they stand on political issues and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Same as everybody else, or do they have some special uh, consideration for political issues? So, actually, a really good question. Um, Baha'is are encouraged to vote um, wherever they live, but we actually are not allowed to join political parties. And so you can't take place in partisan elections. And so the idea is that you definitely want to be a contributing member to your society in terms of offering your vote, but not become um, part of political processes per se. So I vote in every election, but I don't belong to a party. My name is John Zinstra. Uh, Thank you very much for your uh, uh, talk. Uh, My question is, and it's actually I have quite a few questions, but how big is the buy high? the Baha'i faith, Lethbridge, Canada, worldwide? It, it is, yeah. In Lethbridge, there are um, about 40 Baha'is and more in the surrounding area. It is a worldwide faith. There are more than 5 million believers in the world. Um, our world center is in Haifa, Israel. Um, that's one of the things that uh, Iranian Baha'is are accused of as being um, sympathizers with Israel because the World Center for Baha'is is in Israel. Um, but there are Baha'is all over the world, and uh, there are Baha'is in every province in Canada. There's a national Baha'i assembly in Canada. Um, there's even a house of worship in many cities in Canada for Baha'is. Um, locally, we have a small Baha'i center downtown. Um, and we have meetings uh, weekly and monthly and have holy days. In fact, today is one of our holy days. This is called Rizwan. This is the day that we celebrate where our uh, prophet Baha'u'llah made his revelation. So this is kind of almost like our, our Christmas of a sort. Yeah, it's a, ho- it's a holy day for us. Uh, Terry Shellington, uh, thanks for sharing your uh, Rizwan with us. Uh, You're welcome. If I've pronounced that right. Thank you. Um, A couple of uh, kind of fumbling questions because I'm not really well versed on Mm Baha'i, but uh, I'm reflecting on the uh, the immense hostility that I gather Baha'i has aroused in Iran, and I'm guessing that reflects the Muslim discomfort with plurality and different opinions. uh, Mm -hmm. But maybe you'd say more about that. And secondly, um, are there Baha'i groups in other Arab countries? and uh, I, I, is there is there a similar kind of persecution going on in other countries, or is this a particular Iranian mm-hmm. uh, distress and mm-hmm. anguish? Mm-hmm. Very, very good questions. Um, Baha'is in other Middle Eastern countries have suffered as well, and to a certain extent have had to go underground. Um, there are Baha'is in Iraq. Um, there are Baha'is in many of the Middle Eastern countries, and none of them are faring very well. Um, I've forgotten your first question. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is very interesting. The, um, the history of, of Iran in terms of its faith background, ancient Persia was Zoroastrian originally. 
you might remember the prophet Zoroaster mentioned in the Bible, Zarathustra, right? And so there are still many believers that adhere to the Zoroastrian faith, and they are tolerated, um, as is the Kurdish community to a certain extent. Um, there are Jews in Iran. They are less well tolerated. Um, they have experienced a lot of the same economic um, difficulties that Baha'is have in terms of their restriction to being able to work in certain types of professions. Um, Muslims who are not Shia Muslims um, have had a hard time, as have had Sufis um, in Iran. Um, but I would say at this point, it is the Baha'is that have come under the um, the hardest the hardest situation, really, in that in that country. Yeah, there are um, the Baha'is in Egypt have really suffered for a long time. In Egypt, Baha'is couldn't get a, a personal um, a card to say who they were. So they couldn't get access to health services. They couldn't go to the hospital. They couldn't enroll their children in schools. Um, there are there are issues in a number of countries, and we're beginning to hear about them. Yeah, good questions. Uh, thank you uh, for your uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is John Warren. I was interested um, to hear that uh, the Baha'is are being supported by Amnesty International and by the uh, European Parliament. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering whether the uh, organized religions... Um, uh, the Catholics, the Anglicans, uh, the Mormons, uh, whether they are um, also supporting the, uh, the Baha'is in Iran? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not sure that I, that I know the answer to that question. I know that um, the Baha'is are now active um, in a lot of interfaith um, activities. And in fact, the statement that came out um, as part of the recent G8 meetings, um, the statement on global religion was the chairman of that group was a Baha'i. <laughs> and so that's kind of interesting because Baha'is have a strength in working with and identifying other religions as being valid. And so increasingly we are called upon to work with other faiths. I'm not sure about the Christian uh, religion's tradition towards uh, supporting supporting Baha'is. Some, some churches that are active in social activism um, have invited Baha'is to speak and explain the situation um, at their congregations, but I don't know that there's a formal process for that. That's a good question as well. Hi, Janet. I'm Deb Jarvie. Thanks hey, very Deb. much for that presentation Thank and you. the singing. It was beautiful. Um, we were just discussing over lunch and wondering, with the persecution that goes on um, of the Baha'i faith uh, people over in Iran, is there any sort of movement out of Iran by those people, or mm -hmm. are they committed to staying in a country that they're, they're very committed to? That's probably a whole lecture in itself. <laughs> I kind of left that out of the lecture because, um, as you know, I'm married to an Iranian Baha'i, and there, there have been such difficulties for um, Iranian families, Baha'i families, um, in that country. And so for a long time, Baha'is had to escape from Iran if they wanted to leave. Um, many of them escaped through Pakistan on the back of camels. Um, some were transported illegally out of uh, trucks. In the recent past, Baha'is have been encouraged not to leave illegally because it was leaving an increasingly vulnerable minority um, in existence in the country, and things were just getting worse and worse for them. So at this point, um, believers 
cannot leave the country legally unless they have a special uh, special visa permission, and usually that's only given when they are of advanced age. Young people usually cannot leave legally to go to university or do anything, um, and once they leave, they can't go back. Um, there is a huge immigrant population here in Canada and in the U.S. of uh, Baha'is that left Iran both legally and illegally. Um, some that escaped. Many believers had to spend many years um, in Pakistan or another uh, refugee camp before they were able to come um, to another country and build a new life. And the situation is very, very serious for people. And I didn't go through the whole history of what happened around the time of the Iranian Revolution, but at that point, there were many, many thousand believers that were killed and tortured. Um, and so it was a really terrible, terrible, devastating situation for people. Um, a lot of believers have had all of their um, property taken away. Uh, in our own family, we had many properties that have just disappeared out of the hands of our of our family, and um, you know it's a devastating situation for many people. Thank you very much for your presentation. Thank you. My name is Frances Schultz, and. On Tuesday, we had a young woman from Iran talking to our group, and she kept emphasizing the fact that she was Persian mm -hmm. and the fact that the government was the enemy in Iran and that they were trying to turn them into Arabs. <laughs> um, would you comment on that, please? Sure. I don't know that I know the whole background there, but I do understand the use of the word Persian um, because Iran is is Persia. It is the ancient land of Persia. I remember Persia was a large, large community that, you know, had had very successful kings and armies over many years and had huge holdings. Um, many countries that used to be Persia are no longer Persia. And so I noticed that Iranians like to identify themselves as Persians because it captures that beautiful ancient culture, the beautiful poetry, the beautiful music, the architecture, the art. The history of Iran is enormously rich. The culture is vibrant and beautiful and full of everything that one would expect from an intact ancient culture. It's like Egypt. It's like Italy. It's like one of those most beautiful countries with a, an ancient language, with an ancient literature, with lots of poetry. Our recent view of it has become so obstructed, and so many, many Iranians love to use that word Persia. I'm Persian, and it doesn't bring up people's associations with this really difficult Iranian government. I have a feeling that's why she said that. As for the trying to turn us into Arabs, I'm not sure. I don't know if my husband has a comment on that, but do you have a comment on that? <laughs> why someone would say they're trying to turn us into Arabs? This is Shoja Mazidi, my husband. Hello, everyone. My name is Shoja Mazidi. Uh, growing up in Iran for uh, 22 years before I leave the country, uh, I would say that uh, the language has been very uh, diluted, if I use the right word, or should say the language has been very um, mixed with Arabic words. But mm -hmm. general generally speaking, the language is Persian, and it is... Uh, well spoken throughout the country, but uh, the influence has been quite uh, strong. 
that uh, especially when I went back a few years ago uh, for the first time after 20-some years, I noticed that very clearly that uh, it is very influenced by Arabic language. Mm. But uh, the culture itself, it's uh, uh, considered to be unique and not, uh, as, a, as, as a Middle Eastern country, it's not associated with Arabic countries or mm. Arabian uh, uh, community. Uh, but nevertheless, they're always influenced because it is surrounded by a Middle Eastern country that they have different diversity of language, Arabics, and etc. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. While uh, we wait for the next question, I have a question. Mm -hmm. If you mention it, I, I think I missed it. I was asleep or something. The reason why Iranian government was so much against Baha'i faith is because of its inclusiveness. If so, how come, or what is the position of another Iranian traditional spiritual tradition like uh, Zoroaster? Mm -hmm. What is their position? Mm -hmm. So if a religion is exclusive, they tolerate it. I know that uh, there's a bishop of Anglican Church in Iran and mm. still there. Mm -hmm. uh, is the uh, the idea of religion is it must be exclusive, mm -hmm. or if it's in, uh, tolerant, it's not allowed. Is that the point? Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's that. I don't think that's the exact direction. I think what it is more is that they view. Um, the prophet of the Baha'i of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, as in direct opposition to the successorship of Muhammad. You know, um, Muslims are looking for um, the next manifestation, and so they consider Baha'u'llah a false prophet. And so that's really the main problem. Um, I, I think that the inclusivity is. Um, I don't think they've gotten that far yet. <laughs> I don't think they're. I don't think they're sure about that that part of it. And I think that Zoroastrianism is tolerated because it's the ancient um, religion of Iran. And in fact, many of the um, Zoroastrian customs um, and cultural practices are still widely practiced by modern day um, Iranians. Uh, the biggest festival of the year, the festival of Novruz, is a Zoroastrian practice. It's not a Muslim holiday. It's the largest holiday in Iran. That's interesting. Am I allowed a second question? Mm -hmm. No, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, having this uh, session today with Janet is actually no accident because I went on the website, as you can Google almost anything, and I noticed that today was the holiday, one of the main holidays in the Baha'i. So I asked Janet if uh, there was anything that would prevent her from coming to uh, present today. Uh, on, on that note, uh, what actually do you do on this day uh, in terms of celebrating? Well, it's a really good question. I was very honored that you'd looked up our holidays and asked me the choice of my holidays I wish to present on. That was very nice of you. Um, it made me feel unusually welcomed, so that was special. Um, for Rizwan, Rizwan is one of those holidays that we celebrate kind of in a series. We celebrate 
um, the first and the ninth and the thirteenth of a sequence. So this is the first evening tonight, and so there'll be a community gathering um, at a community center downtown, and we'll have a meal and prayers and music. And this actually is also the day that we elect. Um, our assembly for the next year. So we elect the nine members of our local governing body um, at the same time. So we have a spiritual meeting um, followed by an election, followed by um, prayers and devotions, and then we eat a lot of food. <laughs> so it should be enjoyable for us. Yeah, Our other major um, holiday is No Ruse, and that's on the first day of spring, March 21st, and that's also characterized by... Um, singing, prayers, chanting, music, and eating. <laughs> well, if, uh, if Knut's allowed a second question, I think I'll have a go. Sure. Um, could you tell us how the Iranian government can distinguish Baha'is from everybody else in the country? Mm. Good question. I'm not sure I know the total answer. The, the answer that I do know is somewhat personal. I know that um, up until five years ago, when you entered the country, you had to write your religion on a line when you entered. And so uh, my husband, for instance, did not feel comfortable entering Iran when he had to state his religion on an entry document, even though he left Iran legally and has a passport and all of those things. So as of five years ago, you can now visit as an outsider and not state your religion. Once you're in the country, it would be difficult for you to not have a history of who your family was. There hasn't been any you know, teaching or new joining of the Baha'i faith in a very long time in Iran. If people are learning about the faith, they're learning about it covertly and at their own great personal risk. It's a bad idea <laughs> um, to learn about the Baha'i faith or to try to become a Baha'i in Iran at this point. So the only people that are Baha'is are coming f directly from pre-existing Baha'i families that have been there for a long time. It's hard to hide in that kind of a culture. In the, um, the university situation, there were students that um, had attempted not to distinguish themselves as to their background, and some students entered university without ever stating their religion and have, before graduation at some point, been, been uh, pulled out. Someone has found out and they've been pulled out. You know, we've, we've read about the extremely active intelligence services in that country, and it, it certainly exists for the Baha'is. And I, I think that there's, you're not really able to hide very well in that country. Yeah, so you're, you're identified as, as a believer. But you're right, we don't look any different or um, have the same homes and families as everyone else, contrary to the newspaper articles to the contrary. Everybody is allowed to pose a second question, so okay. here's mine. All right. I'm very curious to know the reason for your particular interest in Hildegard von Bingen. <laughs> She's a Christian. Mm -hmm. Is it because she was a woman at mm -hmm. the height of Catholic power in mm -hmm. the 12th century mm -hmm. when no women came to the surface while Hildegard was about the only one who became famous, mm -hmm. wielded quite a bit of power. Uh, could you tell me why? Is it because of your feminist view mm -hmm. or something else? 
That's a really interesting question. Thank you for that question. Um, I think that I was attracted to Hildegard because of her amazing um, writings, uh, both words and music. Um, and also because she was an amazing early woman, one of the first that we have a record of. But I think maybe broader than that, it speaks to the fact that from childhood I had an interest in religion. I actually wanted to become a minister. And when I was 14, I started meeting with the minister of my uh, Presbyterian church that my parents belonged to. And had these special sessions learning about the Presbyterian church and I was a musician from early childhood, and I had many Jewish friends, and I also had some Buddhist friends uh, down the street, and uh, I had, through my parents, who were social activists, I knew a lot of people of different backgrounds, and I was immediately struck by the fact that my Presbyterian minister was very firm about the idea that my Jewish and Buddhist friends were not going to heaven, and I was really shocked by that. And I kept learning about religion, and I kept very active in the church, and continued on the path of wanting to become a minister. (laughs) And even as I became a stronger and stronger musician, eventually I wasn't comfortable enough with... um, with that tradition, and I started really actively searching for other ideas. And I think you're right that feminism maybe drew me into that partly. I noticed there weren't a lot of women in in power in in my church, and um, that there wasn't a large tradition around that. I think there is more so now, but at that time there wasn't as much. Um, And I did feel somewhat excluded, and I started searching. And when I was 17, I started reading books on the Baha'i faith. And eventually, after a number of years, um, I joined that faith. And I think my, my interest in Hildegard was she was the most amazing, earliest woman I had ever learned about. And she still isn't known well enough, and her music is not well enough known. And when I was in university, which wasn't that long ago, her, her name was not mentioned in the music history textbooks. She is the most prolific woman composer for 500 years. And so I, to a certain extent, I feel obligated to perform her music and study her materials. I don't know if that answered your question at all. <laughs> Thank you for your presentation. <clears throat> Uh, Jean Olexen is my name. Um, okay. I'd like to change the topic a little bit. Uh, as of late in the last year, the last six months, there's been a lot of uprising and, and reform and revolution in, in the Middle East. I'm just wondering if you can comment, if you will. Uh, there was some unrest in Iran about, about roughly from what I can recall about a year ago. and it, But it seemed to gone underground, or obviously the regime is very Mm -hmm. repressive, but uh, could you comment on the state of that Mm -hmm. movement uh, today? Mm -hmm. I think things are changing. It may be as simple as people's hearts are changing slightly. Increasingly, when we meet people who um, have come out of Iran as Muslims, they have an interest in um, learning the truth about the Baha'is and We've had some interesting um, things that people have noticed. For instance, in one of those um, youth 
uh, rallies in Iran, it was noticed that um, some of the youth were chanting, freedom for the Baha'is. Those were not Baha'i youth chanting that. Baha'is don't take part in political rallies, but those were Muslim youth who were chanting that. So there, there is increasingly an, an identification of um, people in that culture that they want things to change. I think it will change. I think it's just a matter of time, and I think it may happen very quickly. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, wasn't it interesting? I... Uh, I really wanted to learn more about Baha'i. I heard many times, and I particularly I was impressed by the inclusivity of Baha'i faith when a lot of religions are the causes of warfare, mm -hmm. fights, and even evil. And in that sense, I wanted personally to learn more about Baha'i. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, on behalf of everybody, especially on behalf of myself. Thank you, Janet, for coming. Thank you so much. Janet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.